Well, good morning. Glad you could all make it here and uh, survived the uh, the freeze. Um, I was telling some of the St. Thomas students down here, my uncle celebrated his 70th birthday, and he and his wife took a cruise to Antarctica, and it was much warmer in Antarctica than it was here. You, you don't normally think, hey, I'm going to go down there and look at penguins uh, in their natural habitat. It'll be warmer for them than it is for us. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm a, a pastor here at Hope, and um, uh, normally uh, preach in, in St. Paul, but I have the opportunity now to to be here with you. We actually had our service uh, last night because of the Super Bowl tonight. We don't worship sports. You shouldn't worship sports. We don't worship the Super Bowl or anything like that. Uh, but we do think it's a really good opportunity uh, to be able to celebrate with neighbors, with friends, uh, and that kind of thing. And just get people and invite them into your home and, and that kind of thing. And so I'd encourage you to do the same uh, as well if you're, you're able. Uh, yesterday, though, we kind of made a day of it as a, as a location, as a church. We we called it, uh, we were calling it like a Saturday fun day, but then someone changed it to Saturday yay. I don't know if that was a thing. Um, and so we actually went to the uh, Roseville Oval. You know what I'm talking about? It's this huge outdoor skating rink, uh, ice skating. And uh, it was actually very warm. It was very pleasant. And it's actually, every lap is a, is a quarter mile. So, you know, you go around it four times. It's a mile around. And so, and I didn't realize that until after we'd gone around it a billion times and realized, whoa, that was way too much, way too much work. Um, and everyone that came, they were actually like pretty, pretty good skaters. One, uh, one guy, uh, his name was Nate. He had never put ice skates on in his life. And I've, you know, and I've, I've skated here now and, and, and every once in a while I got engaged. The night we got engaged, we, we skated at the depot over here. And, and, uh, so we, we skate every once in a while, but it just isn't really my thing. But Nate gets out there and he was already going like faster than me. And I, and I couldn't figure it out. Like I felt like I was, uh, on one of those, um, like, uh, like a, a ramming, like I was on ramming speed, you know, the whole time, just dun, 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 and I'm just chopping up the ice as, as best I can to keep off, and I'm just gliding on ice. That's what you're supposed to do, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't figure it out, and so some would say I was, I was between two worlds of uh, the beginners, the beginners, and then the, uh, the experts when it came to the ice, but um, some would say. Um, it's, uh, we did have a lot of fun doing that, um, being out there and enjoying the, enjoying the weather and enjoying each other's company. Uh, we've been in this series now. This is just, uh, I think, week three that we're in, First uh, Peter, that's where we're at, and looking at um, this idea of being between two worlds, and you have it on your handout if you have it, but this quote uh, that Pastor Core put on there from C.S. Lewis, if you find yourself with a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world, and that's what Peter is getting at. And, I, and I've been using this quote uh, in St. Paul at least last couple weeks from, from Karen Jobes. Of just, she just sums up the book, and, and really the goal and the aim of, of Peter and what he's trying to accomplish to his uh, New Testament church. And he says this, Peter exhorts Christians to engage the world as foreigners and resident aliens. Peter uses tons of Old Testament language, tons of it, that was explicit and explicitly for Israel that he then says, now this, all this language and these words, and we're gonna get into this even more as this book unfolds, that it points directly to us, to the church. So he's using language of being a foreigner or a foreigner or an exile or a resident alien. He says that we are chosen exiles, that we are to engage the world as a foreigner yet having a healthy respect for the society and culture in which we live. 
Right? This isn't let's just build our gates, just build our walls and, and force everyone on the outside and, and they're all the, the weirdos and we've got it all figured out. No, but how do we engage culture? How do we engage society and have respect for it and how they live while at the same time maintaining an appropriate separation from it? Where do we draw the line when it comes to what the world does and, and how they conduct themselves and how we ought to and how we get to as believers, and so that's really what Peter's aim is, and so that's what we're gonna be doing. The last couple weeks, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time looking at this because the passage kinda is gonna force us to go backwards a little bit, but last week looking at being reborn to hope, and I'm not gonna read the passage now, but Karen Jobs again says this, this means that the chosen are given new birth into two things, hope and inheritance, and, and Peter talks about that in verses three through five. There's this hope this hope and expecting, and, and even with the song that we just sang of rejoice, we get to rejoice because we know that there is a future hope. There's a future inheritance. And even the, the verse that Pastor John read in, in, in Matthew chapter six, um, I love the, I, I just, when I grew up, I grew up in the church and, and had a King James uh, Bible. And, and this verse, it was always funny to hear people get tongue-tied on this one because it always says we're moth and dust doth corrupt, right? That was, like, that was always the, the tongue twister, so we're, you say that 10 times fast. Um, not right now, you can try that in your own time. But there's this future hope, there's this inheritance, but they are also guarded by faith until salvation is fully realized at some future time. And this thought answers nicely to the threatening situation being addressed by the letter, and that leads into exactly where we're gonna be this morning of looking at rejoicing and hoping in the midst of suffering. How, do we, how in the world can we sing that song? Can we rejoice? Can we praise God while we are in suffering? Well, I think Peter is going to do an excellent job of that. So the passage for today is 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. And I'm just gonna read this. Um, I'm gonna have all the passages up on the, up on the screen. Uh, we use the NIV, but uh, feel free to, to flip along if, if you'd like. Uh, but 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-9 says this. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let's dig into this passage. And the first point is simply in all of this, that's one of my favorite things of when we go through a, like a passage of scripture and not like a, like, hey, I'm just gonna preach what, I, what I'm gonna preach today, like a topical thing, you know, when we do that every once in a while. Because you just get, you get an outline, right? Peter's already written the outline, right? This is the first point, in all this. Oh, where'd I get that? I got it from, from this, in, in all this, right? First Peter, he says, in all this. What is in all this referring to? Um, I'm not a, I'm a grammar guy. English wasn't necessarily like my, my uh, favorite class. Growing up, I was like, I speak it. Why do we have to like study it? It didn't make any sense to me. Um, I can read it just fine. What's the big deal? Um, and we had to do the, um, uh, and I always forget what it's called, but when you, when you had the line, um, diagramming, is that what, right? 
You, when you diagram a sentence, it was the worst, right? It was just, it was punishment and torture. It was unnecessary. But uh, when you start studying your Bible, it actually helps to be able to do this, to be able to look at, okay, what is the verb? And, and in Peter's letter, verses three all the way through 12 are actually one sentence. And so we gotta look at what is all of this referred to? Well, if you go back to, the, to verses one through three, um, Peter in those three verses actually talks about Jesus Christ four times. Right? He, he cranks up the Jesus right off the bat. He's, everything about the believer's life should be tied to Jesus. And he says that over and over and over. So you could assume this is talking about Jesus and, our, and, and that, but it's not. It's actually referring to the entire uh, verses of three through five. In all of this, in all of these verses, and so I know Pastor Cor preached on this last week, but I wanna just go over this briefly to remind us of this is what the all of this is. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. There is a living hope, right? He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's raised from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is, is kept, it is guarded in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is this hope and this inheritance. That is in all of this. It's all of that in the fact that sometime in the future, Jesus is gonna come back. And because of that, we can greatly rejoice we greatly rejoice in all of this, in this hope and this inheritance, expecting. Right? I think sometimes in our culture, we have this view of hope of like, man, I really, I hope this thing happens, right? I mean, I, I hope my team wins or I hope my car doesn't break down or, or whatever, right? But no, an expecting, or you've gotten a receipt from Amazon and I hope that I'm gonna get the thing. You know it's coming because you got the receipt. Even if it doesn't come, you can, you can say, no, 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 I paid for this. Give, give me my thing, right? That's the hope that we have. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. And we think about greatly rejoicing. I, I, I'm thinking, I, I was thinking of um, how the Bible is kind of the greatest um, spoiler, right? Like we, we know how this ends. We know that Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna make all the wrong things right again. Uh, and I was reminded of a long time, a long time ago, I mean, four years ago, when the... When the, the Star Wars movie came out, the, uh, the, the one where uh, Luke Skywalker just makes a cameo at the end. You know what I'm talking about? What was that one called? Is that The Last Jedi? Force Awakens, thank you. Um, I'm a fan. I'm like a fanatic when it comes to Star Wars, in case you didn't know. Um, my, my wife and I, she had never seen any of the Star Wars movies, and so I was doing some research and was trying to figure out, and apparently there was this, this thing called the machete uh, way to watch the... All the, all the movies, and, um, and so we, we did that, but the, the problem was we end up watching this where, where Luke Skywalker makes this cameo, but then you go back, and there's something about knowing, no matter how perilous a situation may be for Luke Skywalker, guess what? I've seen him like 50 years in the future, and he's still alive, right? So it doesn't matter how bad it gets, so it kind of ruined it for my wife a little bit, because she was like, oh, I guess he's not going to get crushed by this garbage thing, right? Oh, whatever, right? Like, he'll make it out. He's fine, right? He's Luke Skywalker. He's alive. And that's kind of where we're at, right? That we read our Bible, and we get to see the rest of the story, 
And so we get to hope. We have a hope in this of saying, man, he's coming back and he's gonna restore everything. He's gonna make all things new. And that causes us to rejoice, even in the midst of suffering. That even when physically suffering, culturally suffering, whatever that may be, and we're gonna look at what kind of suffering this really is, but even in the midst of suffering, is that truth of what Scripture teaches about Jesus coming back and making all things right again, is that enough hope for me to rejoice? So Peter says this, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Again, Karen Job says this, with verse six, Peter shifts the focus from the certainties of future eschatological, just means end times, future end times glory to the more dismal realities of the present. However, the future end times perspective is important for it is meant to determine how Christians are to face life in their present situations. Now, that end times, that what's gonna happen is incredibly important and it should shape how we do things now. I, I love how Peter goes about this. We actually just took a... Uh, a staff survey from, from Hope, and, and kind of how, how do you like to be, if you, if you really screw up or, or there's some kind of conflict, how do, you, how do you like to be confronted with that, right? And, you, and there's, there's a lot of people do the, the whole like sandwich thing, like I need you to like build, like give me, give me the Oreo cookie first, right? Tell me how good I am, right? And then give me the Crisco. I don't like the Crisco, right? I don't like the, just the cream. I know it might be kind of weird like that, right? But, but I did, then, then you get the negative, and then you, then you got a sandwich at the end of my time with you. Like, give me, give me a little bit more praise. Tell me something else I'm doing well, and then I can, then I can handle it. I'm not that way, right? Just, just tell me, right? Just get it over with. Get out of my office. Leave me alone. I'll fix it, right? Um, that's not true. Um, <laughs> That's kind of how I am, but I love how Peter does this, right? He doesn't start, first Peter, hey, listen, you're gonna suffer, and it's gonna be terrible. He doesn't start there. He starts with listen, listening and how great this hope and inheritance is that's guarded by faith. Why? Because we are going to suffer. And this is how Christians are to face life in their present situations. So I just have this phrase that joy doesn't come from suffering, right? Nobody gets joy from suffering, but from knowing that deliverance is coming. And I, and I was reminded of uh, the multiple, way too many surgeries I've had, uh, right? When you, when you go under the knife, and I know a lot of you have probably done that, whether that be tonsils or, you know, uh, kidney, um, hopefully not too many of you have your kidneys removed, but um, uh, appendix, that's the word I was looking for. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've actually had a, a couple of lung surgeries, believe it or not. I've I had something called a spontaneous pneumothorax. Any, any other spontaneous pneumothorax people in here? Room this big? Nobody. Wow. I'm, I'm a snowflake. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a spontaneous pneumothorax is, is basically uh, my lungs grew too fast. I've been the same height since I was 12. So I, I grew really fast, right? I was 6'2 in sixth grade. It was fantastic. Just dunking over peeps in junior high. Um, <laughs> And I can't, I, I can't dunk. It's been a long time since I've been able to do that. Um, but, I, but I grew too fast, and I made weak spots, spots on, my, on my lungs, and so they would just pop. Like, they would just spontaneous is that part of where, where something would pop, and, and they would start to collapse. And so I could either, right, I had the choice, like, hey, this isn't going to kill you, but maybe every week to month or year, you may, this may happen again, and it's not 
pleasant experience to not be able to breathe and be in pain. Um, and so they said, you can have surgery. And surgery is never a good thing. And the recovery is terrible, right? It's suffering. And I don't get joy from the suffering, but I do get joy from the surgery knowing what's coming. And what's coming is I can breathe, right? And we've all been there. A lot of us have been there with when it comes to surgery. And when we look at scripture, the same thing is true of the apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he says, I can now glory, I can boast in my distresses and my necessities and my persecutions for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Or does that mean the apostle Paul, that when he's just getting beat in prison, right, he's just like, again, I say rejoice. No, right? That's not a good thing. It's the outcome. It's what's coming next that gives him joy. And same thing with Jesus. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it. It was suffering. It was pain. But he knew there was a reason. There was a joy that was going to come. And so joy doesn't come from the suffering, but from knowing that deliverance is coming. And that is what Peter's point is in this passage. What do we know about this suffering? When it, when it looks at, when we talk about, in this verse, when he talks about suffering, a grief, and all kinds of trials, what, what do we mean? Let me, let me say a word briefly on this. There's gonna be, uh, Peter's gonna bring suffering up a few more times in his book. And so we'll spend a little bit more time uh, digging into this. But what suffering is here is something that uh, either we experience as a result of the fall, Right, I'm just a broken human being in a broken world, and therefore, bad things happen, and it has no, 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 nothing to do with anything other than we're human and we live in a fallen world. There are other things that, are, that we suffer, and, and what Peter's really getting at here is suffering because of the fact that I'm a believer, because I'm a Christian. Someone asked me to do something, and I have to say no because it goes against my biblical ethic. Right? I, I, can't, I can't do that. And therefore, there's negative consequences of that action. What Peter's not talking about here, and we need to be very careful here, is that it's not consequences of sin. Uh, I had a pastor growing up who used to always say, if you choose the sin, you choose to suffer. And what he's saying here is this is not just a consequence of my action. I remember when I was a college pastor, I had a young man come into my, come into my office, and he said, man, God is really putting me through the ringer right now. I've got a major struggle and a major trial that I'm going through. And I was like, hey, man, share, share with me what, what's going on. And he said, well, my, my girlfriend's pregnant. And I said, well, you know how that works, right? Like, that's not God just like, hey, I'm gonna make you suffer. Boom, she's pregnant, right? That only happened one time, and that was Mary, right? I said, this is, this is a consequence. This is a consequence of your action. This is not God giving you a trial. Right, so we've got to be careful here of saying, what, is, what am I suffering from that is just purely the result of me being a believer, and what is just a consequence of, of my sin? So, what does Peter say about this? Well, in the verse 6, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. And a little while here, he's not necessarily talking about how it's going to be a brief thing. I know there are people in this room that have been suffering for an incredibly long time. It could be years. It could be your entire life so far. Matter of fact, it could even be weeks or days, but it feels like a lifetime. He's not talking about, hey, listen, if you're a believer, you're gonna suffer, but it's just gonna be for a little time, so just hang on. What he's saying here is, humanly speaking, in light of eternity, this is brief. 
This is a little while because as we're gonna see, this suffering that we do for the sake of Christ may ultimately result in our death. We may suffer for a little while, but in light of eternity, it is going to be a little while. Another phrase that he uses is had to, or it was necessary to. I love here what Tom Schreiner says. The idea that the sufferings believers experience are not the result of fate or impersonal forces of nature. They are the will of God for believers. That if I obey God, if I live the way that Christ has commanded, I'm going to suffer because of that. That is the result of my faith. They're the will of God. Peter, we're gonna be here in a couple months, but explicitly says this in chapter, chapter four, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Why can he say that? Because of this hope. Because of the inheritance that's going to come. And so, moving on, talks about that we're gonna suffer all kinds of grief Suffering grief in all kinds of trials. Again, Karen Job says this about these all kinds of trials. In other words, the trying circumstances Peter's readers are in would not, humanly speaking, give them any reason to hope in the glorious future that is theirs in Christ. The thing that you're thinking of, the suffering, whether it's past or whether it's current, Humanly speaking, if you say, man, if I, just, if I just gave in, if I just walked away, if I just cursed God and just walked away from all of this, humanly speaking, it would kind of make sense. I think of the businessman or woman who's, who's confronted by, a, by their boss who says, man, if you just, just tweak that number just a little bit, do you understand what that would do for our company? No one's gonna know. And as a result, you suffer consequences because you disobeyed your boss. Could be in a dating relationship. Man, we're gonna get married someday. What's the big deal? Let's just fool around a little bit. Listen, that's suffering because you're a Christian. Hey, he doesn't bring you joy anymore. He doesn't bring you, he doesn't make you happy anymore. Things have changed. He doesn't love you the way that he used to 20 years ago. Just, just move on. Humanly speaking, it would make sense to just walk away. But we have a hope. We have an inheritance. And it gives us a reason to hope in the glorious future that is ours in Christ. One word here is that Peter is not minimizing the suffering. Peter's not saying, oh, that, that thing that you're going through right now, get over it. <laughs> Right, you got a hope, you got a joy in the future, so what's the big deal? Stop moping around here, right? Just, no, that's not what he's saying. You are going to suffer. But we have a hope. I was thinking about this, that um, whatever the thing is that you're going through, or you know somebody who's going through a thing, I, I used to think about this after my father passed away um, when I was 14. And I remember just always asking that question, why? I mean, really? Really? And you're in control of all this, aren't you? I mean, what's the, what's the point of all this? And I remember having the thought that even if Jesus Christ in the flesh stood in front of me and said, Brian, this is why I've allowed this to happen. 
it wouldn't take away the fact that I can't talk to my dad anymore. I'd still miss him. I'm still gonna suffer the fact that I grew up and, and went to college without a dad. Still suffering. So even if we know the reason behind it, Peter's not minimizing it. It's real. Even though we know the rest of the story, we still suffer. But we have hope and expecting hope, a real hope. But this requires a lot of faith. Peter gets into this in verse seven. These, this suffering, grief, and all kinds of trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result, the end result of this suffering and my genuine faith that is refined, the end result is praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, that these sufferings are a crucible that our faith is put in, and it's gonna be refined. And I love the way that Job puts it, that when I'm tried and refined, I will come forth as gold. But what Peter does here is he says, even this great value and worth of pure gold, it's gonna fade away too. But you know what won't fade away? Your faith, your hope, your inheritance, Jesus. And the end result will be praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So another thing is the fact that we will be tried and refined shows us that a trial is neither punishment from God. Oh, I messed up. Boom, I'm gonna get them. They screwed up again. Nor is it the result of a lack of faith. It can't be. Matter of fact, I think what, what Peter's teaching is that the suffering is actually a result of the faith. Because I'm a believer, things are gonna happen to me. That wouldn't happen if I wasn't a believer. So then, we walk by faith and not by sight. Peter says this in the last part of this verse. He says, though you have not seen him. And you gotta remember who Peter is, right? He's one of the three that was really close to Jesus. He walked with him, he talked with him, he, he knew who he was, right? He, he laughed at Jesus' jokes and all these different things. Peter knew him. And I think what the apostle is doing here is you, church, have a greater faith than Peter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Even Jesus said this, blessed are they who do not see me and believe. That is our faith, our hoping and expecting faith. In verse nine, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I wanna talk about this briefly. I'm gonna let Thomas Schreiner wrap it up as far as what this verse is talking about. But you could read this verse as if it's saying if you just remain faithful, you will someday, you will eventually be saved. It's not what Peter's saying here. So I wanna let Thomas Schreiner explain this. So we should also notice that such salvation is the outcome of your faith. My salvation is the result of the faith, not my faithfulness. The word outcome has the idea of result here. Octometer, Octomeyer, another theologian, wrongly says that faith means faithfulness rather than belief. 
We have already observed several times that such a judgment is mistaken, and the word faith here is closely linked to the participle believing. Faith and faithfulness are, were ultimately inseparable for Peter. They were, they were hand in hand. But the latter, faithfulness, is rooted in the former. The only way that I can remain faithful and hoping in the midst of suffering is because of my faith that is grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ. Period. But the latter is rooted in the former. We should sum up the main idea in the verse as we conclude. The love and joy of believers is rooted in the hope of end time salvation. They know, therefore, that despite present sufferings, they will see Jesus Christ when he is revealed and enjoy him forever. So my question is, is this a biblical pattern? Right? Is this just Peter willy-nilly throwing something out there about suffering and being in Christ, and it's a result of, and it's, it's, it's refining our faith and proving the genuineness of our faith? Well, I wanna go a little old school, right? Peter does it a lot. He goes to the Old Testament, so I wanna do that. I wanna go all the way back to Genesis. I wanna read a passage from Genesis chapter 15, a little bit of context. This is uh, Abraham, who hasn't even, his name hasn't changed. He's still Abram. And God is making his covenant with them. And he has them go outside. He says, you see all the stars? All of those stars, as far as you can see, you're gonna have that many children. You're gonna have that many descendants. And Abraham believes them. And then God, in the midst of making this beautiful covenant with Abraham, where he stakes his own deity on, that if this thing doesn't happen, I will cease to be God. <laughs> he then says this, then Yahweh said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace, and be buried at a good old age. And if you step back and just ask the question, why? But <laughs> why does God tell an old man, hey, by the way, you're gonna have a lot of ancestors, but they're gonna be enslaved for 400 years. Like, why not, why not just start with, you're gonna go with your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age? Like, why not just do that? And as we were going, you know, back last year, and we were going through Exodus and looking at the Passover, I was introduced to a Jewish rabbi, actually, Amy Bernstein, who says some phenomenal things, but she falls short. She falls short of the glory and hope that is Jesus. But she says some really profound things when it comes to this. She says this. To answer that question, because there is no way for the inheritance of the land and the children that number the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea, except for slavery in Egypt first. Suffering needs to happen. Slavery needs to happen in order to be freed. One is directly dependent on the other. Redemption from slavery is the prerequisite for inheriting the lands. Over and over again in our scripture, in our New Testament and old, that we are slaves to sin, that we are dead in our sins, and we've been made alive. We've been set free from the bondage of sin and slavery. And that is the human prerequisite that we have all been slaves. And we have the opportunity to be set free 
by the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Another passage, looking at the Passover meal. This is when the, the firstborn, when the, when the death angel is gonna pass over, he says this in verse 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to Yahweh, a lasting ordinance. Can you imagine, just try to put yourself in one of these little houses or huts that they would have had there in Egypt, and they have this promise that if you just spill the blood of, a, of an innocent lamb, of an unblemished lamb, and you take that blood and you spread it over your mantle and your doorposts, that when death comes to your door, it will pass over you. It'd be a little intimidating. I'm sure there were some families, right? I'm sure there was a dad somewhere there in Egypt who was like, you know, hey, you know, remember he said that if we couldn't afford a, a lamb, we'd share it with the neighbors, and so we, we kind of split this blood like four ways, you know? Is it enough? Like, is there enough blood on the doors? Like, son, just go get a sponge, soak up some of theirs, and put it back on our door, right? I just wanna, I just wanna make sure. And I'm sure there were other families, right, just dancing and singing and praising God and Yahweh for the deliverance that was going to come. Guess what? Both were saved. That it's not the quantity of faith or the lack of faith thereof, it's the object of my faith. And so it is with us. And so again, to quote Amy Bernstein, she says this, this makes us aware of the slavery around us. As a believer who's gone from darkness, as Peter will say, into marvelous light. Makes us aware of the slavery around us, whether that be a physical slavery or a spiritual slavery. That makes us liberators, church. You were slaves. You're no different from them. You didn't earn anything as your status as redeemed. You didn't earn anything about redemption. And she says, apparently, we need to be reminded of this all the time, and we eat it every year as a Passover meal. But guess what, church? We get to eat this meal today, as we do every month here at Hope. And we get to viscerally remember, because we tend to forget. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you have that hope that is expecting? And I want to end with going all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and just looking at this that we are God's elect exiles scattered out throughout these provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And what? Sprinkled with the blood of a lamb? Washed by the blood of a goat? He uses this phrase, sprinkled with his blood. With Jesus' blood. This is an imagery that goes all the way back to Leviticus 14. And what would happen was if somebody had a, some kind of skin ailment, they were kicked outside of the camp. They were in exile. Beyond the walls. You can't be near anybody. Whether you were leprous or just had maybe really bad acne. I don't, it isn't, not very clear on what it means, but some kind of skin disease. Outside of the camp. I would have spent a lot of time in junior high outside of the camp. 
And what happens? One day they wake up and they look and they go, wow, I'm, I'm healed. <laughs> what happened, right? But, but as far as the society knows, they're unclean. And so Leviticus 14 outlines that what they're supposed to do is they, they walk back into camp and the whole time they're walking back in and they're going to the temple or the tabernacle to the priest, the whole time they're shouting out, unclean, unclean. And everybody who was clean is staying as far away as they possibly can because if they get touched, their uncleanness then passes to them. So they're shouting, unclean, unclean, and they get to the temple and the priest looks them over. And what does he do? He takes some blood and he dips a hyssop branch in it, and he sprinkles the individual. And as he's doing it, he says, you are clean. You are clean. You are clean. And what Peter here is saying is because of the blood of Jesus, you are clean. I don't normally associate getting blood on me with being clean. But this is the pure blood of the lamb and we can echo what King David says in Psalm 51. Wash me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me with the blood of the lamb. So I end with this. What is your source of joy? What is your source of hope? Because what I, what I think it should be, and what I think what Peter is saying, that even in the midst of suffering, our hope and our joy is the fact that he's not on the cross, that the tomb is empty, <laughs> that he is seated at the right hand of God in power and authority, and someday he's gonna come back and make all things right. And even though you can't see him, you believe and you love him. And someday we will get to praise his glory and honor and power and strength forever and ever because worthy is the lamb who was slain. Secondly, can we encourage those around us with hope? You may know of somebody who's suffering and, and, and I want you to be tactful here. Um, I know that go, difficulties and things that I was going through with, right, the last thing I wanted was another email with, with a verse. That was just me. I didn't want another cliche coffee mug saying, and God's gonna, whatever, fix it. I, I was the kind of guy who just wanted my friends like Job to sit around me for seven days and keep their mouths shut. <laughs> that was me. Get to know people. How are they suffering? How can you help? How can you give them hope and remind them this is just brief, but at the same time, not demeaning or belittling the suffering that they're going through. And can we all be challenged with this? How can we encourage those around us that are hopeless, that are still in bondage, that are still in darkness? For my wife's uh, 30th birthday, uh, a couple months ago, we went up to Duluth, and I was sitting in a, in a sauna with um, one of her best friend's husbands, um, and they just recently, last week or two, uh, moved their family of six, they've got four little kids, over to uh, India, the Himalayas. And there are missionaries there. And I'm in the sauna with, with uh, Micah and, and our dentist. I know it sounds weird, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> and we're, we're sitting there, and there was another older couple that was in this sauna, and, and the gentleman asked him, why? Why? And why India? Why the Himalayas? Why with your family? And he said this. 
We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. I just want people to know they have a choice. <laughs> I can tell you what, if you would ask me, Brian, why are you a pastor? I don't think that would have been my answer. I'm far too conscious about offending people that I don't give them the joy and the hope. Can we be challenged by that today? We're going to now, in just a few moments, viscerally remember what Jesus did for us. On the cross, where his blood was spilt, that is represented by the juice that we're about to drink. Now we're gonna partake in this sacrificial meal that Jesus instituted thousands of years ago to remind us you've been free. You've been cleansed. I'm coming back. And the bread that represents his body that was broken for you. And it gives us hope. I would ask that you're just a follower of Jesus. If you partake of these elements, there are gluten-free options on, on my right, your left, top and bottom. As we partake of these elements, just remember just glance up at this cross and realize, hey, he's not up there. We have hope, and we're gonna sing a song. What wondrous love is this? So as we sing, as we partake in this meal together, and as we break bread together, would we remember what Christ has done, and we have hope in the midst of suffering that he is the hope of the world that takes away the sins of the world. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good. You're good even in the midst of suffering, even when we can't understand and we can't see and we have no idea why you're doing what you're doing. God, you know. God, I pray for those people in here that, that maybe like me were just asking the question, why is this happening? Would you just give them that peace? Would you just give them that hope? That even without seeing that they would believe and have an expecting hope that someday you will right all the wrong. God, will you help all of us as well that today, watching a, a stupid football game might have a chance to just share the hope that we have in your son. So God, would you just be honored and glorified now as we partake of these elements together as your body, as we remember what Christ did for us as he bore your wrath and washed away our sins for your honor and your glory, and it's in Jesus' most glorious name that we pray, amen.